podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. Still reeling from their poor display in the loss away to Brentford, the Reds recorded a disappointing draw against Wolves over the weekend to earn themselves an unwelcome replay later this month. With the flaws within Klopp's side easy for sides and managers across the league to identify and target, it seems as though little will change for the Reds unless they sign the midfield reinforcements the squad dearly needs. Nevertheless, whilst fans, fans patiently hope for more business this window, the tough games continue to appear, with Liverpool heading down to Brighton this weekend for what's sure to be another competitive game against the Seagulls. Joining me as usual to share his perspective on how Brighton have developed under Roberto De Zerbi and where fans' expectations are for the rest of the season, we welcome back Brighton correspondent for The Athletic, Andy Naylor. Welcome back, Andy. Nice to be with you again. It seems a while since we last spoke. Yeah, and I think it's um, I think it was an interesting time that when we last spoke because obviously it was the first game, uh, or just before the first game um, uh, of the sort of De Zerbi era, um, uh, with um, with Graham Potter having sort of departed. Um, just in sort of mid-September. So it was an interesting time to speak with you in terms of sort of a little bit in the unknown in terms of sort of how he was going to make his stamp on the side, how the side were going to play, what, what the noticeable differences were going to be. And, and I was a bit more, I think, apprehensive about that game uh, in terms of I, I, I was well aware of what Brighton had done to Liverpool at Anfield in the previous season. And sure enough, I thought, um, as has been you know, quite commonplace this season with a number of different teams, uh, you uh, sort of um, Brighton came to Anfield and just dominated Liverpool in midfield, and I think Liverpool never had control of that game. Obviously, ended up three-three. Uh, casting your mind back to that, Andy, I mean, what did you make of of that performance? And obviously, the very first sort of showing under the uh, the new manager. Yeah, well, that was our first glimpse of um, the Zerbi ball, if you like. And well, what an exciting glimpse it was! If I cast my mind back to that that uh, game obviously went 2-0 two, two up uh, pretty early on um, Liverpool came back were in front uh, but Leandro Trossard completing a hat-trick to earn a very uh, eventful point mm. and um, you know that, that was that was obviously De Zerbi's, uh, introduction to the Premier League and what an introduction it was and it's it's kind of Almost carried on that way since. Obviously, that there were the teething troubles. Um, there were a few games after that where where they struggled for goals. But you look at them now. We're talking about the highest goal scorers away <laughs> in the division. Um, not least after knocking four past your neighbours in their uh, last Premier League outing and another five in the FA Cup at Middlesbrough on Saturday and informed Championship side. So. They are flying in what is still um, the very early stages of uh, life under Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we'll definitely come on to talk uh, about the fact that I think in, we've had previous conversations where we've bemoaned sort of Brighton not being ruthless enough in the final third. And they've, yeah, as you say, I think it's four, 14 goals over the last four games, um, which is not. Not bad at all, to be honest, especially when you think about some players who actually haven't necessarily been as involved as you would have maybe expected at the start of the season. Um, just on that 
that that game versus Liverpool, um, it's it's been become I think quite a common thing now in terms of sort of um, matchups between Brighton and Liverpool that um, they're usually incredibly competitive games, um, and I think even when maybe the scoreline has flattered. Um, uh, Liverpool in the past, for example, maybe um, it's, it's 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 usually been a, a, a much more competitive game than it showed. Uh, you know, Brighton coming to Anfield for the second season in a row, like I mentioned, and, and showing absolutely zero fear, which is obviously sort of what we, we've seen across numerous grounds and in numerous games this season and last season as well. Uh, j- j- just on, I mean, before we get into sort of deserving and how he's influenced the side, I mean, just how far does that sort of show you know, that Brighton have come in terms of sort of their their confidence in these games. Yeah, well, I think you know they're pretty well established now, aren't they? I mean, they were actually uh, uh, promoted in sixteen seventeen, so they've been in the Premier League yeah. now since seventeen eighteen. That's been a process of development initially under Christian to sort of stabilise the state in the division, really. Um, moving on from that with with Graham Potter. And then um, once he left for Chelsea, it's a case of trying to really build further on the way he's developed the club, hence the appointment of um, Roberto De Zerbi. So essentially now it, it's no longer really a surprise for Brighton to get a result against anyone, home or away, because um, on their day when, when they're really at their best, they're, they're capable of beating anyone. Um, even the the one kind of result that's eluded them so far is away to Manchester City, but even at Manchester City under Roberto De Zerbi, they 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 played well, and there were times in that game where they looked capable of uh, getting the result as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I have to say I'm I'm looking forward to that that last step in the evolution um, of. Brighton figuring out a way to go to the Etihad and um, and taking all three points. Maybe not this season, but maybe in future seasons. I think that will be an incredibly sort of um, yeah, it wouldn't be unexpected based upon sort of the the evolution that we've seen of this side over the over the past few seasons. Like you were talking about um, in that Liverpool game, which, which finished three three, the first of, of the De Zerbi era. Uh, you, we spoke beforehand about sort of uh, how he'd been brought in. To, to try and be a continuation of, of, of the style that Graham Potter had gone for, um, perhaps with a few tweaks here and there. Um, and I'd just like to sort of get your opinion. You mentioned sort of a bit of a tricky run that went, Brighton went on after that fixture, but um, some of the teething problems. But in, in terms of sort of the noticeable sort of tweaks that you've seen Deserby look to make, whether it be in terms of the personnel that he's ended up actually um, opting for more often than not, or the, or the system that he's played, how has it differed from what you were used to before under Graham Potter? Well, I, I think it's quite interesting that um, uh, right at the end of his, uh, I seem to remember what was his first press conference after pretty much everything had been asked, I actually put it to him that what 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 is kind of what would he say is the biggest difference between him and Graham Potter in terms of um, this kind of ethos. And he talked about controlling games, which was certainly interesting uh, to any Brighton supporter, because I think most Brighton supporters felt that under Graham Potter, they'd control, <laughs> they had an element of controlling games unlike anything they'd seen before. 
but he wants more of that. Um, what's interesting is that the build-up actually starts often from even deeper than it did under Graham. He likes players to take responsibility on the ball in tight areas. Um, they've got a lot of good, gifted uh, technical players in, in, in that respect. Um, but he also likes um, tempo with the possession. It, he's he's very entertaining, actually, in the technical area because you see him sometimes turning around to his staff in exasperation when um, one of the central defenders invariably maybe plays a safe pass square or um, or dwells on the ball a bit too long when he thinks he can see a pass forward. So, so he is very proactive in that kind of energy and, and uh, intensity um, in terms of pressing as well out, out, out of possession. So, um, and they've just got this, they've got so many players with, who, who are fluid, fluid in the positions they play, fluid in their movements. And he's really capitalising on that. You know, the threats from Brighton are coming from all over the pitch. So um, the kind of narrative that you spoke about before, which has been associated with them for a while, they need a goal-scoring striker. They need a goal-scorer, Brighton. If only they had a goal-scorer. That still yeah. pops up when they don't score. <laughs> but that's kind of being put to bed, I think, by by the way they can score from different areas. And uh, and also they've got another young striker coming through now, Evan Ferguson, who led the line at Everton, scored on his full Premier League debut, had scored coming on at Arsenal. He's another of these, this, this seemingly relentless production line that Brighton have of really talented young players. That's both from within their own system, the academy, and from their recruitment, uh, well, around the world now, really. Yeah, I think for the Liverpool listeners who have sort of listened to this pod and, and, and the previous one against, um, where we got sort of the, the opinion of, um, sort of fans on sort of the development of Brentford as well. I mean, you, you, you're talking about sort of in Brentford and Brighton, it appears to be two incredibly well run clubs in, in the way in which they go about recruitment, in the way in which they go about developing sort of their, their younger players, their academy players, and sort of the pathway through from the academy um, to the first team if they're good enough. Um, uh, certainly in recruitment, I know there's been a lot of focus on on the way in which uh, Brighton have uh, sort of discovered gems, it seems, across the market over the past few seasons. Uh, and, of course, plenty of clubs sort of have their attention on on different players over the over the past few seasons, with Basuma moving on, and I'm, I'm sure at one stage we'll probably mention the name of, of, of Moise Caicedo. But uh, I think it, plenty of Liverpool fans come into this game this weekend, probably thinking, "Well, oh, actually, Brighton are a, at this at this point a, a, a better run club than Liverpool appear to be at the moment, given some of the off off pitch dysfunction that looks like it's um, it's creeping in." Uh, one thing I wanted to mention when I was just looking at some of the the results there, and I was looking at the three three against Liverpool to take it right back to that as well um, in the uh, Trossard obviously scoring a hat-trick at Anfield uh, and he was somebody who I thought at the start of the season um, seemed to be quite an influential figure uh, and of late of course has been left out and I, I just wanted to, to ask you a little bit about sort of the the way in which he's maybe struggled to 
to get into sort of Deserby's thinking, I saw a few links about sort of potentially him um, having a move away from Brighton. Um, but then also, so what, which players have actually been at the forefront for, for Deserby? Who are those players that you mentioned there, you know, the threats coming, coming from all over the pitch who've really yeah. stood up during that period? If, if we, if we just concentrate first on, on Leandro. Sure, uh, sure. It's not for the first time in his Brighton career. He tends to be that kind of player where he mm. have purple patches and then perhaps go, go a bit quiet. Um, he was certainly in a purple patch to begin with under Roberto. Um, then he went off to the World Cup with Belgium. He was in a really good place. And for some, I mean, obviously Belgium had a very poor World Cup under Roberto Martins, but yeah. almost explicably, he didn't really get used. It was uh, Martinez relied, preferred Eden Hazard um, ahead of him, um, which I think even surprised Eden Hazard. <laughs> and came back from the World Cup, obviously off the back of that disappointing campaign. And he's uh, he's played in two and a half games. So that was the Carabao Cup tie at Charlton mm. where he came on. And then he had two starts playing as a false nine against Southampton and um, Arsenal because Danny Welbeck's been out injured. That I don't see that as being cited as a reason because he was playing in that kind of role at Liverpool, and and he's played in that 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 position before. So um, and rather interestingly, in his press conference uh, in the in the embargoed section of. Um, Deserve his press conference on uh, Friday ahead of the Middlesbrough game. I asked him um, about Leandro, and he was very open. And essentially, what he effectively said was that he's got to give his all in training and games, or he won't be back in. The... So that there's, there's clearly some some feeling there. Obviously, he sees the players not just in games, but in training day in day out. That maybe. The customary speculation swirling around. Yeah. I mean, Leandro's contract situation is that he's out in the summer, but Brighton have a year's option. So um, he's not really out, if you see what I mean. Of course. Um, there's, there's been talk of Chelsea and Potter, obviously, there. Talk of Newcastle, Dan Ashworth, Link, former technical director. All and sundry, the usual. Uh, I've seen stuff. Tottenham today, um, but he he basically there's no way Brighton Brighton's position is quite clear on all of, of whether it's Moises Cochado, Alexis McAllister, Trossard, quite clear. No player will be going in this window unless they receive some kind of pretty extraordinary bid for them, something that would outstrip anything they might be able to get in the summer window. Now, I'm not saying these players will go in the summer window, but if you look at Brighton's business over the, over the last sort of two or three seasons, mm -hmm. when they've made big sales, it's been in the summer. Ben White to Arsenal, uh, Yves Basuma to Tottenham, although his situation was slightly different because he was out of contract. Yeah. And uh, Mark Cucurella to Chelsea. So I don't see anything happening with any of them at the very earliest summer. 
And who knows, may, maybe not even then. I mean, there's a huge incentive for Brighton there. They're certainly in the mix, I think, to um, qualify for European football for the first time in their history. And obviously, that if they can if they can continue to do well for the rest of the season, that's only going to help in them trying to um, hold on to some of their stars. Yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, I, I, I think plenty of people will, will be listening to this pod sort of, yeah, waiting for me to ask that question about sort of Moishe's, uh, Caicedo. And, um, you know, naturally that, that, there have been links whilst not being links between him and Liverpool, which has been, um, quite, um, quite frustrating, I think, over the past few weeks. Cause I, I'm actually of the same opinion that you are actually in, the, in that, uh, I think Brighton have every reason, um, to, to keep hold of these players until it's at a time where they're comfortable discussing their future and, and they can plan um, like they would want to and obviously pushing for for European football, like you say. Uh, I think there's plenty of Liverpool fans who are, uh, I think, pretty obviously um, desperate for a midfielder, I think, at this stage. And you know, naturally, like Basuma did in the past and like Casado is now, um, yeah, a midfielder that we see doing so well, I think naturally... I think that, Fans have been clamouring for any sort of update, but I, I, I'd seen a um, appeared to be an interview with the CEO of, of Brighton a few days ago that seemed to say the same line you're talking about there that the unless there was an extraordinary offer, which there hasn't been so far at all, despite sort of any rumours um, that none of those players will be will be moving anywhere. Um, and that actually brings me on to to talk about Caicedo a little bit. Maybe we can talk about him and some other players. Um, I, I wanted to focus in on who the players you saw as being the, the key figures um, so far under De Zerbi. Um, and uh, Caicedo is one that sort of catches the eye given sort of the role that he plays. I think so, lots of Liverpool fans focusing on him because of the role he plays. Um, but uh, Mitoma, for me, is another one that I've, I I really enjoy watching, whether or not I'm just uh, sort of seeing clips here and there, but a really fun player to watch. But I just wanted to ask you who the who the key figures have been. Well, Matoma's a good choice. Um, the inverted wingers, so you've got Matoma on the left, Solly March on the right. Um, I mean, the one the one aspect that's always been missing from Solly's game is just the kind of final bit, the end product. Yeah. Um, talented player, local lads, served the club for a long time now, has come through from their time in the championship. And he's now scoring. He started to score goals. Matoma, another uh, smart piece of recruitment, um, signed him from Kawasaki Fontali, loaned him to Union St. Gilwa last season, the uh, club in Belgium that Tony Bloom, the Brighton owner, chairman, co-owns. Had a good season there. Work permit issues sorted out. Has come in and uh, did well. At the World Cup with Japan, and he's he's just so exciting to watch. <laughs> Direct, he seems to go past past uh, defenders with mm. consummate ease. He sort of glides, uh, doesn't he? he? Sort of glides. Over yes, yeah. sort of glide. I mean, um, there was a good example of Goodison last week, where um, in fairness, the the pass um, should have been cut out, but once he was on the ball. Cut inside um, and yeah, finished um, with a plomb. Yeah, he's he's been really exciting. Basically, he was coming off the bench and and looking like a real game change 
changer mm-hmm. now or he's he's starting games. So you've got those two on the on in the wide areas. McAllister, of course, Alexis McAllister had a fantastic work. It goes without saying. I mean, he, you know, he's not just a World Cup winner. He played a really prominent part oh, yeah. in being fine yeah. from Qatar. Now, the interesting thing since he's been back, Brighton gave him time off, and and he only came back last week, is that in the two substitute appearances he's made, he's actually played in his Argentina position, which is further forward. Um, kind of drifting in from the left, a bit like he did those link-ups with Messi and Guitar. All season, up until then, it has been Cachado and McAllister in a double pivot. They've been like the, the two central parents since since the sale of um, of uh, Basuma to Tottenham. That was under Graham Potter. That's how they started the season, under Graham Potter. And Deserby had continued that way as well. Now, Alexis... Dad, Father Carlos, himself a former Argentinian international, thinks his best position is further forward. And um, that's where we've seen him in his two appearances from the bench since the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm. Pascal Gross has been playing uh, instead alongside uh, Moises Cachado and Pascal Gross continues. I was going to mention, of course, yeah. To confound confound all criticism well there's not many criticism of him to be honest with you because what a signing he's been he was Brighton's first signing for the Premier League going back to 2017-18 3 million from Ingolstadt uh, and playing loads of positions Uh, what he lacks in pace he more than makes up for in guile and his intelligence, and he's another player who's who's just flying. He's in great form. I was going to say he must he, he must be something um, of a cult hero by now, right? In terms of sort of the yeah. Swiss Army knife status, and just yeah. like, always effective. Yeah, well, I think he's a coach's dream. You, know, really. um, you can play him, like I say, almost anywhere, and you know what you're going to get from. No, yeah, and I think it's. So sort of didn't mention McAllister uh, earlier on. I thought, yeah, we were definitely going to. He was going to come up, given sort of the just how integral he was. I thought to Argentina's sort of World Cup campaign. Uh, he's he's another one who I think is is a really exciting talent. And again, in that position in the middle of the park, full of energy. I remember at Anfield, um, he quite easily ran ran through, glided past, and sort of quite a few Liverpool's midfield on the day. Um, so yeah, I'm not not necessarily looking forward to seeing him do similar uh, on the weekend. Um, but just um, just before we come to that, just thinking about sort of how this Deserby side can continue to develop. As you you, you were talking about there, the the chance if uh, you you remain on this current trajectory, this current sort of points per game and sort of form that you're in, um, the, the 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 possibility of European sort of football coming this season. Uh, I mean, where are fans' expectations under Deserbi at this point? Um, as you say, don't go into any game sort of fearing that you can't compete any longer. And you're, you're proving quite the opposite. Um, and all these you know, real, real talents in, in the team as well. In flying form, as you mentioned, 14 goals in the last four games. Um, I mean, where are where are expectations at at the moment? I think they're very high and they've grown. Um, I think it's only fair to point out that, um, you know, when Graham Potter left, 
uh, for Chelsea. Uh, they'd just beaten Leicester 5-2 at home and were fourth in the table. Uh, back in Now, that, of course, was pretty unrealistic, really, to, to expect that could, could last. But we shouldn't forget the foundations that Graham Potter left behind him. Um, mm. Really, really good job at Brighton. Now that comes with its own difficulties. Funny enough, I, I wrote a piece about this very subject because obviously, so often, when does a manager a, new, a manager come into a, a club? Um, it's usually because they're doing poorly, results are bad, teams not doing well, manager changes. This was one of those situations where he was coming into a situation where Brighton were doing very nicely, thank you, really well. That doesn't leave that much room for improvement. It's almost like you're thinking, well, the only way from here is is, is backwards, is, is down. You coupled that with a pretty horrific looking first month in terms of the fixtures. And, um, you know, he's he's kind of overcome all that. He's overcome the fact that he's in a new country, different, different, different league. He speaks English and increasingly so good English. Um, and he, but he's very determined on, on, on that side of things. He's, he's asked for extra lessons. He has a, uh, translator alongside him, um, Enrico Venturelli, who's also the sort of general manager as well, not just the translator. He has him alongside him, but he quite often he's doing a lot of his stuff in English now, as I understand it. The team talks primarily. In, in English um, and getting his message across this is where you kind of think with the, like in terms of the improvement you think if, if, if this guy can achieve what he's done so far in the space of what are we talking about I, mean, is it, I think it's 13 odd games or something like that then then just how much better he even can they become assuming of course um, the situation with the transfer market and recruitment and um, continuing this 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 stream that Brighton have of um, of, of keep replacing um, that's that's where they're at now really they've they've grown to an extent where they have players and a lot of players who are good enough to attract big clubs so that they're into the, that next level really mm. of their development they're, you are going to lose some of those players and it's about how you keep that going how you replace them yeah it feels like Brighton at sort of a similar stage than perhaps um, perhaps where Southampton were a, a number of years ago where it seemed like the lots of players uh, were being scouted very cleverly coming to the Premier League and then proving that they were more than capable of playing for any side in the Premier League uh, and then they had this incredible knack of replacing those players, and obviously the academy um, as well. Um, yeah, does does feel as though Brighton everything is moving in the right direction at the moment. And in terms of looking at games uh, that you you've seen under Deserby, where you think, okay, that's an example of everything clicking uh, as he would like it, and, and the performance level being what you think he's he's after. Um, what games stand out to you? Because there's quite a few sort of real big results we could. We could highlight, but are, are, are there any particular games that you think are, are, are really great examples um, of Brighton playing the way in which Deserby would like them to? Yeah, well, obviously the one that 
that people catches everyone's eyes the way they hammered Potter's Chelsea four one at the annex. Uh, I think there were quite in a way unique circumstances attached to that though. Um a lot of fans were pretty angry with the not 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 so much that Potter went to Chelsea but um uh, and and sort of it was just the scale of the number of staff that also went not not just those that had worked with him before other clubs but also Ben Roberts long serving goalkeeping coach and mm. Bruno Brighton's former captain who'd been on the coaching staff so there was a there was a fair bit of anger and resentment it all kind of but I mean the atmosphere was crackling that day at the Amex which it by no means is always the case but it was that day so um yeah obviously that that was that was a kind of dream <laughs> dream result from that was actually his uh, that was fairly that was his first home win um they'd had a couple of games before that at the Amex lost one nil to Tottenham drew nil nil with Nottingham Forest where they hadn't scored so that kind of stands out but I, I think if you asked him he'd probably say Southampton away on Boxing Day perhaps curiously but they just they just looked at that they outclassed Southampton now you have to take into account the quality of the opposition dubious quality it has to be said the way Southampton are looking at the moment but but they really did look a kind of different different level really to Southampton that day again it would be easy to look at the 4-1 at 4-1 at Everton uh, again absolutely um outstanding result and performance but in the second half what was interesting and I think is an indication of how he's he's raising the standards is that in post-match press conference, he wasn't happy with the first half performance. He wasn't happy with the way that defensively, the way they used the ball. Um, you know, they just, they've just won 4-1 at Everton. They've just scored four away goals in a top-flight game for the first time in the club's history. <laughs> and he wasn't that impressed with certainly half of their performance. So that that that's kind of an indication of... of I think that he's 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 kind of raising the bar, you know. There's still this you still see fans of other clubs. It's this it's this little old Brighton syndrome, isn't it? Little old Brighton. Oh, they do what you know. Um, well, it's not little old Brighton anymore. It really isn't. It's a club that uh, is on the up, uh, on their way to establishing themselves in the Premier League, which is the long term long-term vision is to sort of establish themselves as a top 10 club in the Premier League so they're not, they're not always looking over their shoulder as what's happening at the other end of the table so um, yeah you um, you underestimate Brighton these days at your power yeah I'd certainly agree I, I, I don't think or I, I hope that no Liverpool fans mm-hmm. listening to this podcast uh, are going into the weekend's game underestimating Brighton I think we've had more than enough examples now to know that that's that's not something you can do and i mean certainly for me I mean, I, i'm looking at this uh, especially with the the personnel that you have in in midfield brighton uh when they're competing with um sort of the likes of liverpool where liverpool's midfield currently is that I, I think that's going to be an incredibly tough tough battle for liverpool to win to be honest which i think says a lot for the quality of the recruitment the how well they're set up and of course, just a, a side full of confidence at the moment. Um, and 
given all that, I mean, how are you expecting Deserbi to approach this game on the weekend? I mean, it's, it's Liverpool in the name, but it's, it's, it's this, um, beleaguered version of Liverpool, which everybody seems to understand exactly how to get to, um, uh, Liverpool's weaknesses, um, because they're very, very telegraphed at the moment in transition and, uh, sort of losing out when it comes to jewels in midfield, perhaps due, due to the aging options there. Uh, every reason to, to, to be as positive as possible. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they'll, they'll, they'll respect Liverpool, but they won't, certainly won't fear them. They'll be front foot. I mean, one of the things that is, if you like, a, a continuation, um, of under Graham is that the result, the home results haven't been that great, uh, with it, with a notable exception really of the 4 1 referred to earlier against Chelsea. Um, they've still tended to struggle when teams visit, uh, playing in a low block, which was the case, uh, quite often under Graham, sort of struggling to find a way through, uh, break, break thing. I can't really. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be... Yeah, uh, don't worry about that, yeah. <laughs> cool. So I think we can forget that. I think the last time the game was interesting as an interesting guide. 4-2 against Arsenal. I mean, a, an eventful game. I think Arsenal, there was, in a, there was a sense that Arsenal got lucky because although we, we've talked about McAllister not playing where, where he was for Brighton, um, McAllister was missing still sort of, um, um, during the celebrations of the World Cup time with Argentina and his family and Cachado was suspended. So Brighton were without, were without McAllister and Cachado on New Year's Eve against Arsenal. That's the only time they've been without those two players simultaneously in the league this season. And Arsenal scored an early goal, which had an element of Fortune about it, a couple of deflections of Lewis Duncan, Levy Colwell. And even then, I mean, it looked like Arsenal went uh, Greenell up early in the second half and it looked like it could really get <laughs> get um, damaging. But um, Toma could sort of inspire, uh, and, and they were they were in the game. They were, in fact, it was at 4 2. Um, Matoma had a goal. Ruled out one of those he did, didn't he, yeah. really narrowly offsides where he's not, you know, um, where you think where it just frustrates you, really, doesn't it? With some of the some of some of the kind of mm-hmm. the guides, so you know they weren't that far from from giving Arsenal a really hairy hairy final few minutes, which you wouldn't have believed. <laughs> You'd have struggled to thought that could be the case, sort of in the early stages of the second half. So. They're pretty much back to strength now. Um, Danny Welbeck, who hadn't uh, picked up an injury during the World Cup when they went off to Dubai, played a friendly against Aston Villa. Adam Webster, central defender, they were both injured in that game. They both came on as second-half substitutes in the Cup win at Middlesbrough on Saturday. Yeah. So they're pretty much back to, you know, back to strength as well. Um, so he's, he's got some selection decisions to make, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I, it's a, I think it's a tough fixture for both teams. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's, uh, probably a lot of Liverpool fans listening to this who, um, have been quite unhappy about the last few sentences that you've, that you've come out with, Andy, about sort of, 
players being back fit and uh, of course that that pair of um Cachedo and uh, McAllister being reunited again. Just out of interest, you mentioned sort of this, this different role that you've seen McAllister in since he's come back from the World Cup uh, in, in the few appearances he's had. Against a side like Liverpool, do you, do you think that you, you're likely to see McAllister in that role again, the more advanced role uh, with, with Gross and Cachedo in midfield? Or do you think that, that a game like that might be an opportunity where he uh, deserves sort of thinks, well, actually, for, for games like this, I'll, I'll pull you back alongside Cachedo? Well, I think the nice it's nice to have that option, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it nice. Is. You've got a World Cup winner, winner, beg your pardon, not winner. Yeah. Uh, you can that as well. Um, you know, who, who, who is just just comfortable wherever he plays, really. I think the reason, reason um, for liking him and maybe continuing further forward is to, again, increase that goal threat that, you know, he's a very technically gifted player. He can spot a pass. He might produce a pass that, um, you know, un- unlocks the defence and he's scoring goals as well. We've seen seen that too at Middlesbrough. So he just might get more opportunities in advanced areas in that in that role um, to cause damage. So, um, but it'll be interesting to see. But, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we see him again in a more advanced position. Mm-hmm. And so then, I guess it's just uh, it's just left for me to ask you, sort of what what sort of game you're um, expecting. I'm expecting uh, an intriguing game. I'm expecting an entertaining game. <laughs> um, I think I might be a bit asked to, much to ask for a repeat of the three three at Anfield, but I expect there to be goals. Mm. Uh, I I certainly think that's. That that's probably going to happen, you know, to to an extent. Brighton's um, they're, they're kind of uh, in their Premier League lifetime so far been based on that uh, a sound defence. And you look at the number of goals, you know, don't concede many mm-hmm. goals. They have needed more goals under under Roberto, but that doesn't mean by any stretch of imagination that. Kind of um, ignores the defence. They've still got Lewis Dunk, the captain, uh, playing really well. I mean, Cole will alongside him on loan for the season from Chelsea. He's had a run of games now alongside him because of the injury to Adam Webster. Right. Um, Derby tends to have gone with a four, a back four. More, uh, he he doesn't use the back three as much as Graham was, um, but. Again, it's not it's not sort of set in stone, the system. Um, but yeah, um, they've they've struggled to keep clean sheets. I mean, the 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 goal at Everton really. I mean, Robert Sanchez gave away sort of upended Iwobi right near the end, and he was really annoyed about it. Partly not just the the way the goal had come about. Um, so um, yeah. Uh, like I say, they 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 struggled to clean sheets. I'm looking here. The actually the only clean sheet they kept was this rather weird game at Charlton in the Carabao Cup, which was a bit like a training match. They it was the first game back from the World Cup break. They totally dominated the game. One of those games where it was the old Brighton not really doing enough with their possession. Although Solly March missed a really good chance. Nil-nil, 90 minutes, penalty shootout. Solly March had the 
opportunity to put them through, blazed it over, and they ended up losing the shootout. And you look at you look at their results sort of recently, and you look at that game that was the last 16s that was played to the quarterfinal. Hmm. Think how on earth did they mess that up? Given the way they've sort of um, been performing, so they messed up the Carabao Cup. Uh, in a big way, who knows? The FA Cup, of course, there's a there's a pretty, there's a reasonable chance that um, <laughs> Liverpool might be back at the Amex within a fortnight or so in the fourth round of the FA Cup, depending obviously on they've got to get past Wolves at Molyneux first. But um, yeah. yeah, so um, again, I I suspect if you look at that that draw, and it's probably not not ideal for any of the teams, if you like, whoever may ends up facing each other. Although another of Brighton's um, eye-catching performances and results was a 3-2 win at Wolves in those games. So, mm. As yeah. I said before, don't fear anyone, really. Yeah, no, I think there's there's there's, there's little reason to. I, I, I was looking at that strange scenario that Liverpool could be back at the Amex again, as you mentioned, and then actually we're playing Wolves you know, in the FA Cup, uh, and then we'll be back at Molyneux anyway in a few weeks after that for for the game in the league. So there's going to be a few familiar opponents coming up soon for for the Reds. And and just before we do wrap up, I just wanted to ask your opinion, because it's always interesting to get people's opinion from the outside in who uh, may have not seen as much of Liverpool as, uh, as the listeners have done. But, I mean, what's your general sense of where Liverpool are at at the moment? Because I think there's... Um, people seem to have... Everyone seems to have their opinion, of course, but sort of, I'd, be, I'd be interested in your in your opinion based on what you have seen. Well, probably not any different to to what's generally been spoke, spoken about. I think the midfield is the area mm. um, that that um, you causes the most concern, really, and um, where they're kind of um, lacking. You know, that's um, I, I, I kind of think with all these, even the big clubs, to some extent, it's 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 cyclical, isn't it? You, you cannot expect to sort of stay at these levels. Very few are capable of doing that all the time. Do you know what I mean? Week mm. in, week out, and after season. Um, inevitably, there are going to be periods where um, it's a bit sticky and it's not all rosy. I know the expectations of supporters for those big clubs are at different levels, but um, um, I think you still got to have faith in Jurgen Klopp to um, guide them through a sticky pad. I think that's certainly what people are are hoping for, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're, the point you make there is is valid. I think any side that has managed to maintain that level of performance over a long period of time has only ever done that through regular refreshing um, of the squad and the staff, I suppose, and that's that that's only done one way, unfortunately. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, be interested to see sort of what the solutions are identified as being, because I think as you as you pointed out, there it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to to see where Liverpool are struggling um, at the moment, given sort of that soft centre. But um, Andy, as usual, thank you so much for coming on, and it feels like every single time we do speak, Brighton are a, a different stage of their evolution, a different exciting stage of their evolution, uh, and um, it's it's fascinating to see sort of see how far it can go to be honest so really appreciate you coming on as usual no problem uh, and to, to all the listeners just before we wrap up here um of course there's that fa cup game that second 
second leg uh, return tie um, at Molyneux against Wolves, um, but there'll be a rivalry con uh, ahead of uh, the game on the 21st when Liverpool welcome Graham Potter to Anfield uh, and Chelsea arrive also sort of struggling at the moment uh, for sort of positive performances, for, for positive results. So that's certainly going to be an interesting game, but there'll be an episode of rivalry con ahead of that. Uh, but between now and then, do check out all the other great content on Anfield and Next Pro. And yeah, we'll see you ahead of Chelsea. Sports Social Podcast Network.